Let's be real. Our most serious conversations happen when we pee together. And whether it's on the phone with your biffle or in a group at a nightclub with your fifth vodka cranberry in hand and makeup looking like a melted clown. Join us where we create a safe space for those of us who are always asking the questions we've grown up believing everyone around us has figured out only to realize none of us truly know what the hell is going on. Come along and laugh at us and we promise we won't take our absurdity personally. I need to pee. Do you need to pee? Will you come with us? Hey guys, welcome back to I Need to Be Podcast. We are super excited today because we have a very special guest that actually correlates pretty well with our last episode. We talked about the five love languages. So today we have a dating expert with us. Her name is Michelle Lee Young, and Michelle has a long background in the digital dating space. Over the course of her career, Michelle has led international content marketing at Tinder After spending a few years as a marketing manager at Zeusk, Michelle has translated her experience and fascination with the dating space by personally coaching clients looking to improve their dating approach. So today, we are going to ask Michelle all the dating questions that you may want to know for yourself, for your friends, for your loved ones, whoever's out there in the world who's single, who needs a little help. We're here to help you. So to kick things off, I'm going to let... Alexis, kick off the first question. Hey guys. Um, Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us. We are really, really excited for a multitude of reasons. One, to kind of get into the inside of a brain of somebody who is a dating coach slash relationship expert. And But before we get into the nitty gritty and icky, fun, gooey, slimy, sweet, syrupy stuff, I am going to ask you a few icebreaker questions. Completely unrelated to this episode, but just a little bit more to get to know you. First off, what is your guilty pleasure? Ooh, anything of dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> what is your favorite snack food? Also dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Um, I do find that those tend to go hand in hand. And where is the next destination on your dream travel list? Ooh, I would have to say Thailand. Nice. I just got back from Thailand. I would recommend packing bug spray. (laughs) (laughs) I've been told. (laughs) Casey and I actually were in Thailand together at the same time, by coincidence, traveling there over the holidays. I came back with a rare mosquito bite virus. She did not. (laughs) But it's an amazing place. I highly, highly recommend it. I think that's a great, great dream travel destination. Okay, so I will go ahead and start with our first question. You know, one of the things that I think is most top of mind for people right now, especially as coming out of quarantine, is that uncomfortable area of transitioning back into real life. You know, a lot of times when people do start dating and they're utilizing resources like dating apps, maybe that conversation is happening online for a week or maybe like a month at most, but never for four months. So as we approach, hopefully, the final phase of quarantine, how would you advise people to navigate their relationships into the real world that might have existed exclusively online for the past few months? Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, expectations. Um, I know easier said than done. But this actually reminds me of this couple from Tinder that we actually really, really 
found to have a special story and um, help get them together. And it's interesting. I think maybe some of you have also heard about this on the news because it's this couple where they were basically messaging each other over the course of, I believe, a year or two. And they would say things like, hey, like, how's it going? I believe they're both in school. And uh, one would reply like weeks later, oh, I'm so sorry, I was busy. And then <laughs> the conversation would just like drag on and on and almost became this ongoing joke because like they could have just met up. And it was almost like fun to just keep that going. And when we saw it on social media, it actually went viral and we were like, you know, we have to get these two to meet. And then so we arranged for this trip for them to meet in Hawaii and obviously a PR stunt. But at the same time, we didn't have high hopes that it was going to be this, you know, happily ever after um, they end up together, thanks to Tinder. It was more so just there's a lot going into what you idealize a person to be. And then when you actually meet, it's be very different. And I think that's something that will probably, you know, cause some frustration for people because it's a time investment at the end of the day. And, you know, as human beings, you get attached to people, um, you know, when you learn about special things in their lives, or especially during this time when everyone's a bit more vulnerable and willing to, you know, like share and want to connect. I think I would say my advice is don't make any big decisions during this time, because I think, especially now more so than ever, I think it's not to say a good relationship can't come from someone you meet during this time. But I think, you know, as with all relationships, like, you know, you always hear about not rushing into things. And I think here you kind of see this one side of a person, you know, how they are on a video call or how they are through text or chat. But, you know, there's so many more, like, ways to experience them. And I think, like, it doesn't really hurt. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Um, it doesn't hurt to kind of wait, you know, another, like, couple of months and kind of, like, spend some time with them before jumping into uh, anything too serious. For sure. And that definitely <laughs> feels accurate. It would be intense to feel that way. Quick follow-up question to that. You're recommending not to make any big decisions when starting a new relationship in quarantine. Yep. But one of the statistics that kind of made me chuckle was when China had stopped its quarantine, its stay-at-home order. I think there was something like 80 plus divorces the day the, the stay-at-home order was lifted. So what about making big decisions about ending your relationship? Because I think one could make the claim that you're seeing people in their most true and raw self, but you're also seeing them at their worst. And so do you give people the benefit of the doubt or do you kind of take that experience as, wow, this is really the person that I'm with? Yeah, I think especially with like so many distractions in life. Um, yeah, sometimes, you know, relationships can go on for a long period of time without you really having to spend a lot of quality time together. And so I think it actually is the opposite. I don't think, you know, if you were to make the decision just a few weeks into shelter in place that that is really kind of giving the relationship the chance it deserves. But yeah, I think over the course of a few months when you find like, hey, I'm not really excited to spend time with this person or I find that there's nothing really much to talk about, you know, when we're not just going out, having fun and doing all these things, then it is this realization that's important because if you can't spend a few months with them quarantine, how are you going to spend the rest of your life with them? That's super helpful. I think we all probably have our different experiences. I, for one, just moved in with my significant other. So this has been quite the test. You know, you move in, 
four weeks later, you're told you're on immediate lockdown and you're not allowed to leave each other's side. So (laughs) it's been a good test. But channeling it back to more like the dating profile side of things, when you have a client, what advice, like best practices do you have when you're setting their profile up? Yeah. So I've probably heard all the generic ones that maybe all of you have heard of too. So I I really want to stray away from those. I know there's the, you know, smile, don't wear sunglasses, like have a variety of pictures. But I think one rule of thumb that I really want to go by is really having interesting photos and interesting information about you because if it's not interesting then you're going to get the same boring questions asked so you have to think about kind of what you put in your profile is really going to dictate the conversations you have and the conversations are what your connection or relationship will be born from so I really believe that if you're going to post a picture of you with like a plain background versus like an interesting background, choose an interesting background, give, make it easier for people to connect with you and be curious about you. Um, if you're going to post just like selfies or pictures close up, then yeah, you're probably going to get a lot of comments about your smile, your eyes, your, you know, and that I think gets pretty old um, after a while. And there's not really a, a real connection that can be built from that. So you know, whether it's you doing your favorite hobby, or just you can kind of anticipate like what people will ask about based on what you post. And then I think, you know, a lot of apps like Hinge are kind of migrating towards prompting you with like certain questions that aren't the typical questions that you get asked. And I think that's a really great thing, because it just gives you more topics of conversation to have. You mentioned Hinge, and that's actually leading into my next question. Out of all these profiles and all these apps and all these websites, what would you say like your top three are? I know they also range depending on the age of the person, but yeah, no, just like approximately. You know, it's really hard to say. I I also get asked that really often, and I think I answer. So I personally answer based on my experience during that period of time when I'm single, and I, I will tell you that. My favorites have probably changed with each year that I've um, used it. And I think a lot goes into it, right? Um, the app is not just the app. It's, um, you know, it's comprised of people. And, you know, there's a different pool um, each time you use it, more or less. And, um, you know, the apps also evolve, um, you know, over the years. So it's really hard to say, like, you know, just say, well, this app, just use this. You know, even though I've worked at a couple of dating apps, like I wouldn't, it wouldn't be fair for me to say, like, just use those. I can kind of give some pros and cons. I think for me, my current recommendations are I I really like Hinge um, and Bumble. I like Hinge because I think it goes kind of beyond just physical. I mean, online dating, you can't really escape that completely. But I think kind of like I was saying earlier, you get a lot more interesting prompts and information about the person and they kind of require you to fill out a complete profile while Tinder, you know, you can just post like a couple of pictures and leave your profile bit blank and that doesn't really yield the more interesting interactions. I think there's also, I would say, the apps that I would recommend to people who are already experienced online dating versus the apps I would recommend to people who are you know, have been in a relationship for five years and just getting into the game. And I think apps like Bumble and Tinder might be a little bit more overwhelming because um, for Bumble and Tinder, I would say those apps are a lot more input output than um, I'd say maybe the League or um, Coffee Meets Bagel is where, you know, you get kind of this finite um, um, 
um, number of uh, matches a day. And then, you know, you like you do it and then you go, you don't have to feel overwhelmed of like, oh my gosh, like I, I can like forever, <laughs> um, you know, like why are like 50 people talking to me at once? So yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a complicated answer. No, it's a perfect answer. There's so many things out there. It, it's totally changing all the time. I can barely keep up. I hear about new things. I'm like, what? But yeah, no, that's awesome. So when you're speaking with your clients, I'm curious, what's like a deal breaker? Like one of the weirdest deal breakers you've ever heard from someone. I don't even know like what it could be. My imagination is going all sorts of places, but I'm just curious. (laughs) Yeah. So it's interesting because I've definitely heard a lot and I always say there aren't that many that are too crazy. I think the one that comes to mind I wouldn't say it's crazy but I think it's it's definitely specific so this person actually wasn't a client but it was a friend of a friend and she believes strongly in this but she is very much or she finds um old man vibes to be a huge deal breaker and I mean, I think based on what I know about her, I can I can see that. I think she's very young at heart. I think she, and, and you know, like old man vibes is subjective as well. But I mean, one can maybe assume like dad jokes, maybe how the person dresses, how they come off. And I think with deal breakers, there's, there's definitely a range of like, you know, serious ones, like someone who's abusive or certain drug use that you're not okay with. And then there's also the ones that, sound really silly but I mean if the person knows that they just really cannot deal with certain traits then that's what they know (laughs) totally Hayden and I were laughing when you said old man vibes because we all know that me I Alexis love old man vibes (laughs) love them on a really (laughs) love love them on a deep deep level (laughs) Yeah, um, because, you know, someone's deal breaker can totally be someone else's, like, you know, top trait you're looking for. Yeah, I'll pretty much look at someone, I'll be like, you're only seven years older than me? (laughs) Get out of my face. (laughs) You're a baby. (laughs) That's funny. And I tried J-Date for 12 hours. Was just every time I would get a match, it would go, mazel. (laughs) Nice. And I was like, if if my phone shouts Mazel Tov to me one more time, I'm going to smash it in the sidewalk. Uh, so J-Date, I get it, but chill with the good wishes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, some of these dating apps, there's definitely just like a lot of tackiness. <laughs> yeah. And when it comes to like, t- it's funny because there is a lot of tackiness. There's a lot of cheesiness. But then, like, there's a lot of catfishing which I find to be the most, like when it comes to deal breakers, why catfish? Like what is the point of a catfish if you're eventually going to get caught? I've never been able to understand the logic behind like, I'm going to do this knowing that I'm not going to get away with it. And like, if you never took it offline, you could, right? Like in theory, the circle has shown us that you can get away with it. But if you know you're going to meet that person and you agree to a date anyways, and you're going to show up and you don't look like the person in your picture, what what was the benefit? You know, it's, it's interesting too, because yeah, I will say, um, you know, for the most part, catfishing is inappropriate and shouldn't be done. But I think I've heard a number of my clients and friends where they didn't, 
I think there's variations of catfishing as well. Um, so one person, she is, I believe when I spoke to her about this, she was 39 or 40. And as a female on the dating app, definitely not to your advantage to be in that um, age range. And she told me that she would put that her age was like 35 or 34. And she asked me, like, is that wrong? And I think I had kind of mixed reactions too, because I get sometimes some people just like want a chance. And, you know, maybe some of these guys who talked to her wouldn't have talked to her before and they um, got to know her and then the age wasn't a big deal, but they could have just like swiped left, like off the bat, knowing her age. And yeah, I think it's something that it's hard because I think with online, especially like there are some things you can kind of like hide or not showcase right away. But yeah, I think if the intention is you're going to lie about it forever, then that's that's not great. But um, I think with some of these a little more gray area, I mean, I'm not saying lying about your age is by any means okay at all, but I can see some use scenarios where I can understand why the person would do it. And it's not to, I guess it's not with like bad intentions. I see that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Fudging a little on your age is kind of like how models fudge a little bit on their measurements. <laughs> it's all with good intention. Yeah. It's one thing to post pictures of a complete stranger, I think. Oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. People are always like, you don't look anything like your pictures. Yeah. He wasn't who they said they were. Yeah. I know, any- speaking for like a 12-year-old uh, girl, because in middle school, I used to catfish people because I was bored. So... I don't know if you guys remember this, but I had a strong obsession with AIM chat rooms when I was in middle school, and I would literally go on there and pretend to be famous people and catfish <laughs> people, and I literally would even, I would choose celebrities that look, had somewhat similar features to myself, and then I, I would webcam, I would literally webcam with people too, and I would stand super far away in my room and then pretend to be them. I think Emma Watson was one who I emulated a couple times. So whoops, I was really bored. And sorry for all the guys out there who was talking to a 13 year old girl. So I oh can see that. There are so many problems with that, Hayden. <laughs> so lesson learned of today is if you happen to match with any member of the US women's soccer team on any dating app, it's probably Hayden. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're just really lucky, because I would love that. So I guess to kind of switch gears a little bit onto a different topic, I'm curious, since we talked a little bit on our last episode about the five love languages, I'm curious in your professional opinion, how impactful do you feel these are when they're translated into a real relationship? I personally think they are so very important. I think it's, I actually find it surprising in clients that I've talked to and friends, um, how they don't really know what, you know, either current or previous significant others love languages were, because it's something that it's, you can have the best intentions, but you know, if you're not expressing it correctly, the person can just not feel loved, not feel cared for. And I will say if, if you are lucky enough to find someone who matches your top, you know, love languages, that's really, really great place to start. But at the same time, it's it's not, you know, that's not always possible. And I will say in situations where maybe you have opposite um, top love languages, then I really believe a high level of empathy will, you know, serve you well, because I think people will often, you know, kind of like, just 
do what they think, you know, makes them feel loved to their loved ones. And I think it also comes in so many different forms. It's not always about the grand gestures. So there's just been countless stories I've heard where people are like, hey, you know, I was so stressed out for work and my boyfriend was, you know, there cooking and doing all this for me. And then kind of felt like I was ungrateful. And, you know, all I wanted him to do was just like spend time with me. But, you know, while he was cooking everything, he wasn't really paying attention to me. And, you know, obviously to his boyfriend, he's like, hey, I'm doing all this for you because I want to help alleviate your stress. Why do you not care? So I think kind of like having that open communication and And it's a, you know, it's a learning curve. Like people have to know they're not even a similar action that may fall under access service to one person may not fall under the same category for the other person. So I think like having that constant feedback, especially, you know, in the beginning of a relationship and even in the mid stages, like really positive reinforcement on like, hey, I really, really love that you did that for me. It it showed me that, you know, you felt this way is, is good. And there's no other way for someone to find out if, you know, there isn't that feedback. Definitely. And do you have any recommendations for people on how to have those conversations? I don't know if, you know, I think my significant other was very open to kind of taking the quiz and talking about it, but maybe if they have someone, a partner who is a little resistant to the idea, do you have any recommendations for people? Yeah. So one of the relationship experts, who's also a a very, very well-respected psychologist who I love, love, love following the teachings of, reading books of, is John Gottman. So he has a website, he has books, and I think like he really, really preaches how to have these very fulfilling relationships and like kind of go step-by-step in ways that you can achieve that. So I think that I would highly recommend he also has an app where there's um, these kind of like open-ended uh, like questions that you can like have. They're kind of in the form of like flashcards that you can like play and do with your partner, which like makes it fun, you know, learning about each other. John Gottman, can you John spell Gottman. his last name so we can yeah. make sure to it's, uh, help everyone find him? Sure. It's um, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. So also if anyone listening finds his name familiar, so he became really famous because he had conducted a study where he was able to predict the divorce, the possibility of divorce for couples um, in just 20 minutes from listening to their conflicts. And I think his, it was the accuracy rate was like somewhere around 94, 95%. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So everything he says. (laughs) Does he ever talk about the specific signs of that oh I'm yeah so yeah I'm gonna go look into this <laughs> yeah so they're basically known as the four horsemen so one of them is criticism the other one is stonewalling third one is defensiveness and then the fourth one is contempt so basically you know it's it's not the end of the world if that like happens like once in a while you know a lot of times we all get frustrated and you know say things we don't mean but Basically, if you find that constantly in everyday conversations, then that's a problem and it can't really keep happening because that's how resentment and kind of all these negative feelings become irreversible. So we were going to ask a little bit about how to navigate through relationships when your love languages don't align. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have, I mean, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what are some other tools that, you know, let's say that you're with somebody and you truly love that person and your love languages just kind of keep missing each other and you're like ships in the night. You keep passing and even though you try and you work on it and you have these great conversations, 
at the end of the day, your love languages just don't match up. And maybe trying too hard becomes a little inauthentic, or it starts to feel like you're pushing it where every if somebody does those things for you that do translate to your love language, it almost feels like they're trying or it doesn't really resonate the same way. So how can people who are in situations and relationships like that kind of navigate through those challenges if they yeah. really want to commit to staying together? Yeah, I think it's really about asking a lot of questions. And why I say for both parties to ask a lot of questions is, you know, it's hard for it to not come off as criticism if, you know, someone's like, hey, you're doing this wrong or hey, like that's not what I wanted. But if, you know, you both are committed to, you know, for a period of time, whether it's a few weeks or a month of like every time you do something nice or to show that you care about the person, you ask them like, hey, like how does, does that make you feel whatever? then I think it's a lot more of a healthy conversation because it shows that a you want to know and it's not you're not kind of waiting to react to what the other person um, says. That's something that I think I would be a huge advocate for. And I think also, like just really carving out time, like, you know, whether even if you've been together for years or so, like, carving out time to just ask each other open ended questions. I'm a really big fan of so I'm not sure if you all have heard of the the 36 questions that help two people fall in love. (laughs) Do I? My boyfriend suggested we do that on our, was it our second or third date? So we did that. We did the 36 questions. We stared into each other's eyes for four minutes straight or whatever it is. And yeah, we're together now almost four years later. (laughs) I actually did the told me about that. And I thought he was a crazy person when he said staring <laughs> at my eyes for four minutes. So I'm really glad that you guys ended up together. It must have worked. So everyone think, out there staring into each other's eyes for four minutes. I think we were together maybe or something when I got the message or text message from him. It was on Bumble or something. He was like, Hey, like, do you have like, what are your thoughts on doing this thing? Like on our date tomorrow night? And I was just like, <gasps> I like showed my friends. And I was like, what the actual fuck? Yeah, we were in CVS. I remember this. Yeah, I remember getting this text message, actually. I was like, is that normal? Like, is that okay? Like, I don't know. It turned out to be fine, but it was like, good for him now that I look back at it. It takes a lot of balls to ask a girl that kind of stuff, like, that early on, but it worked out. So I'm curious, like, we cut you off there for a second. What are your you saying about it? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, the questions, I think, gained popularity because it basically was around making strangers fall in love. And I think while that definitely does, I see how it can bring people closer, but I actually recommend doing it in a relationship too. And, you know, some of those answers also change as well. So I think like, you know, even if you, you've done it a couple times in a relationship and, you know, you want to kind of go off of like similar questions or so, but I think it really just comes down to these open-ended questions because, I think when you're in a relationship, um, you kind of fall into the trap of like, oh, you know, you're just like, hey, where do you want to go eat? What do you want to do today? You know, you don't, you don't go and I guess ask the questions that you did in the beginning where you're so curious about everything. Like, what are your thoughts on this? How do you feel about this? It's a lot more like, all right, like just this is our day to day. So I think having that mindset and like making an effort to ask each other these things, like a lot will come out of it you know, you can be talking about one topic and then it spirals into like, wow, like I've known you for all these years. I never knew this about you. And I think that definitely keeps the connection really strong. And, you know, also is 
really positive for a relationship because it shows that you, you just constantly want to learn. You constantly want to do better. Constantly want to improve the relationship. So that's something you would say is like to help keep things like spicy, you know, yeah. like spice yeah. it up, ask these questions maybe once a year, but yeah. in terms of like an actual date, what are some advice like ideas that you have for like awesome date ideas that aren't like the standard, you know, let's go to dinner and talk about these questions. Like, what would you say would be like a really cool date? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, I mean, as like simple as it sounds, I think like, so I really love board games and video games. I think I um, learned a lot about my significant others through um, these, like just playing together because you kind of learn how each other thinks. And then like, um, you know, there's that, um, like flirtiness with like being competitive with each other and um I think it uh, it's a lot more interactive than you know sometimes just like watching a show or, or a movie together so I'm definitely all for that I think also reading together is nice too like I think you know you pictures like reading a page or a chapter to each other and then you know kind of talking about things because again it, it takes you out of the the everyday like oh you know like what'd you do today like what do you want to do later? And kind of gives you more of the thought-provoking um, conversation topics. So these are more like dates to like test them a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like, you know, like sometimes testing people is not the most romantic, but I think um, it's also, it's, I'm just all for activities that like create a more enriching experience because I think it's easy, you know, when we're all busy or frustrated to just like kind of stay very surface level, you know, even even with the ones we love. It's funny. I had a really interesting experience the first time I ever did the 36 questions from the New York Times. I've actually never done them with a like romantic partner, but one of my closest guy friends and I took an entire day and went all around New York City and we actually read them in advance and we've been talking about like relationships and how relationships work and how people are so different and especially being in New York, it's I don't know. I, I think New York is kind of its own beast, but I'm probably biased. So anyways, we had read this article and we had shared it with one another. And we realized as you read through the 36 questions, they progressively get a lot more intense and deep and emotional. And there's kind of like an arc to them. So we decided to plan a whole day where we would bounce around New York City, going from Brooklyn into Chinatown into Midtown all over to like find different really cool places. And we broke up each of those locations with different sections of the questions that felt like a natural progression. And we picked where it gets like really intense and (laughs) kind of dark. We picked like a really calming place in a park, just so we would be like surrounded by nature when we asked those questions and we wouldn't feel like there were people who could hear us. And we did it because we were like, people do this for romantic relationships. But at the end of the day, I don't mean to sound cynical, but a lot of the romantic relationships that we'll have in our life will come and go. Whereas the friendships that we have in our life are more likely than not, hopefully going to stay with us forever through those romantic relationships. And we thought it would be kind of a fun exercise to do it, to re-solidify and deepen our friendship with each other, even though we had no romantic relationship at all. And it worked. They're one of my absolute best friends. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think it's all about just like building a deeper connection. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Relationships do come and go. And friends are, you know, like, there to stay. So going off of that, we're talking about friendships and relationships and how important it is to be compatible. But what, you know, the statement they say, like opposites attract. 
what are your thoughts around that? Like, do they really, is that like actually a thing? Like, can it work or is it good? I don't know. Like I'm <laughs> the crazy one. My significant other is definitely like the mellow one. So we're kind of like a seesaw, which is great. Or, but Or yeah. do we end up dating ourselves? <laughs> yeah. I think this definitely differs by, by couple, by, by couples, by people. I mean, I've, I've definitely seen both. And I will say, so there's this personality test that actually I'm a huge, huge fan of. And I think, you know, most people have heard of Myers-Briggs, but this test hasn't gone as much, I guess, like marketing around it, but it's actually very well respected by um, scientists and psychologists. And it is known as the big five tests and then the acronym is OCEAN. So why I bring this up is um, as it pertains to opposites attracting, I think this test really helps basically you understand like where you fall in the spectrum. It's not like the Myers-Briggs where it's like, oh, you're, you're this or that. You're an introvert, you're an extrovert. And you kind of get to see, you know, like, hey, if you're low in this, you know, core personality trait, like how, like, maybe, you know, you need a partner where they're a lot higher and, you know, or they, or you both are high in, in a certain trait. And fun fact, so there are 4,500 words in the English dictionary that describe personality traits. And that's a lot. So for it to be basically scientifically distilled down to five, these traits are actually really important. And there's also um, a lot of um, data around how these translate to relationship satisfaction, career satisfaction. And before I get too into that, I'll, I'll talk about what each of the traits are. So the acronym is OCEAN. So the first one's O, which is openness. And so that's really, you know, how imaginative you are, how daring, how open you are to new experiences. And um, the next one is conscientiousness. And so that really talks about a person's like energy levels, how ambitious they are, how hardworking they are. And the next one is their extroversion or extrovertedness. So similar to Myers-Briggs, but also like on a spectrum. And then the next one is agreeableness. So basically like how empathetic this person is and, you know, kind of willing to keep the peace. Um, And the last one is uh, neuroticism. So um, this one is really like focuses on emotional stability. So as it pertains to like, I guess, like finding an ideal match or so, not all the traits play into your relationship satisfaction, but there are a few that um, particularly do. So probably imagine if you're highly neurotic, not great for a relationship, but it's also, you know, like not like neurotic people don't find partners who are, you know, very patient, understanding and loving. I think it's just like knowing these things about yourself. And I know a lot of people like, you know, roll their eyes about personality tests, but I'm all for, you know, it's just more information um, to help others like, you know, interact best with you and you learn about yourself too, and kind of how to navigate through, you know, certain things that are like weaknesses or strengths. And the two other traits that also are really tied to relationship satisfaction is are conscientiousness and agreeableness. So basically studies have shown people who are high in both of those have um, really happy relationships, while people who are low in those, like, you know, it's a little bit more difficult. So all that to say is obviously there's definitely a lot of cases where people don't fall into those buckets and they can still have, um, you know, great relationships. 
but you know maybe something to look for if you know you're just in the early stages and you know also great conversation starter to talk about like well like why do you think you know you're this way and like kind of like what do you think is best is the best way for you to I guess like you know interact with someone definitely no I think those are all really good tips and you know, when we're entering into a relationship, we obviously want to make sure that we're compatible with the other person. And so we we do a lot to kind of figure out who they are, but we also don't get to choose who their families are or who they have as friends. So how do you recommend navigating a relationship when their friends or family don't agree with who they're dating or, you know, there's any tension between other parties in the relationship? How do you kind of recommend going about that? Yeah. So I think, you know, sometimes like chemistry or connections can't be forced. I think there are some, I guess, like universal positive experience that people, you know, want to feel around others, like whether it's respect or, you know, showing curiosity in their lives. And I think at the bare minimum, those things can still be exercise even if you know you're not the biggest fan of the person and um, that that does tend to help because I think you know again like who doesn't want to feel like you know the other person is showing interest in their lives or their well-being definitely no I think that I've heard from a lot of friends just or even I've had friends who I have not liked their significant other and it's been a very big challenge because then it almost creates distance between the friendships as well because they don't want to spend time with their significant other and so it just creates a lot of tension even on the other side with the friends or with the family I can imagine too in, in those kind of situations so it's definitely something to navigate and I think like you said just being open um, even just for the friends too being open to who their significant other is and you know accepting still your friend even though you're like why are you dating this person you're crazy just being okay with it you know I think also just letting them feel your support too yeah it's funny because a lot of times I think we talk about you know Hayden brought up a really good point that sometimes it's not your significant other's family or their friends that you don't like sometimes it's your friend's significant other you know where you have to spend all of this time with that person but when it is you know, it can be family, it can be friends, it can be political views, it can be morals, values, religion. There are so many factors that play into conflicts in relationship. And a lot of the times, I think one of the most difficult challenges that we face in relationships, especially long-term relationships, when you've really been kind of ingrained and tangled into each other's lives is managing conflicts. And kind of resolving a lot of the the turmoils that maybe you might go through. Obviously, we know no relationship is smooth sailing. If it was, it's probably got some other issues going on if there's zero argumentative um, nature between the two of you. But I always used to try and live in the mindset of never go to bed angry. The reality is sometimes that's not the case. So how do you recommend relationships navigating through major conflicts, minor conflicts, when you're trying to kind of cohabitate with each other, coexist with one another and push through issues that maybe feel pretty big and substantial that can't be solved overnight. Yeah. So being a reference from John Gottman, there's a a stat that he says that was actually initially pretty surprising. And I like however found it to be very true so he basically said majority of um, conflict in relationships actually are unresolvable 
And I think obviously a lot of couples, like they just like spend so much time thinking there's like, um, there's a way to fix this. But, you know, the truth is like two human beings and you like are very, like you have different like values, upbringings, all that. Like, of course you're going to clash in, in so many ways. And it's not so much about this person is wrong or this person is right, but it's like really striving to just have an understanding of the other person and, I know as cliche as it sounds, it's like really agreeing to disagree, but obviously can't do that when it's, you know, sometimes something that's really important to both of you and um, you guys have opposing views. But I think one way to do it is, you know, the person doesn't want to feel heard. Like sometimes there's like no real like action to be taken. You know, there are probably points in the like argument or conversation where, um, you know, you may have said something you didn't mean. So the delivery could have like, been better apologize for that you don't have to apologize for your opinion but you know I think it's also repairing fast I know um yeah there's also like there's there's definitely the the saying of like don't go to bed um angry but you know sometimes yeah you you need a night and um you know after you've cooled off like you if that is going to better position you to repair and have that healthy conversation where you're willing to just listen and I think it's hard too because um when you get into the to the conversation where you're trying to repair, it's really important to note that you don't jump back into the ring and continue the conversation. It's more, it really, the sole focus should be, hey, I'm now, you know, in a conversation and I just want to understand. And I think like competing for the mic is a recipe for disaster. Um, You should definitely hear the person out, ask these open-ended questions. You hear me say open-ended questions all the time, because I think if you start asking questions where it's like a yes or no, you know, it could be like you have to sit in an agenda where you just want them to, you know, think what you think. But if you're asking open-ended questions, like you really, all you're trying to do is like, oh, okay, so you believe this and that, and, and this is why. Okay, I got it. Um, and then, you know, wait till one person is done and then, you know, you go and tell your side, um, you know, and talk about it as it pertains to just what you think, not, you know, bringing in, um, you know, like, this is why um, my opinion is, um, you know, like, more whatever's, like, right than yours. But yeah, again, what easier said than done. <laughs> but I think with practice of, you know, just like being an active listener, and like, knowing that the goal is to understand and not, um, there's like, no one wins in a relationship if, you know, one person is really unhappy. Um, and having just having that understanding, I think, um, will, will do wonders. Wow. I feel as if I personally am being selfish here. I'm just going to speak for the listeners right now. I feel like I've learned so much already in such a short amount of time and I could keep going and asking all these questions. We're almost turning this into like a therapy session kind of, right? (laughs) So it's like, I am actually trying to pivot right now into less more on like the advice side. I'm really trying to understand like from you as like a relationship dating expert what goes into that right like what goes into working with a relationship coach or a dating coach and how much does it cost I don't know if you're comfortable telling us that I'm yeah. just curious like how much are people willing to pay um you know like how does it differ from therapy Is, yeah it's like all, all those all those questions <laughs> Yeah, so I think I'm going to do a little backstory for me. So I started off my career at Disney. And when I then pivoted into the online dating world, I actually went in with the intention that I really wanted to, you know, basically help people one on one with um, their relationships with dating. But I was initially 
not sure, you know, the direct path to do that. Like, I didn't really want to like go back to school and get certified. And I think even with that, it's, it's not to say that's kind of the best way to, you know, be able to offer like credible dating advice, because I think it constantly changes. So my assumption was, you know, obviously, with online dating really taking off, like having that real knowledge of the industry and understanding, um, you know, the various like users using online dating and then kind of tying that with my natural interest in in dating and relationships and the amount of kind of like research that goes into my job to market to single people looking to use online dating. It really took me to a place where I felt like there's a lot of one size fits all dating advice that I kind of said in the beginning that I try so hard to stray away from. But there's also kind of like with so much, so many insights from, you know, working at these companies, like kind of seeing what works and what doesn't work, like what the universal truths are and helping clients with that. And I will say that I've definitely helped people with like both genders and also different age groups as well. I think it's really important to note that, you know, everyone's situation is different. I've had, um, you know, people come to me where they just haven't had much luck with their um, dating lives and like really wanted to kind of like go into the self-discovery of like, all right, well, here are the things I've been doing. Can you tell me like, you know, why I, you know, why this keeps happening? And it's like really sometimes you need um, to have someone to like really spot those patterns for you. While there's definitely a lot of people who come to me you know, after breakup and it's like, hey, how do I get back out there? So I think it definitely varies the type of clients I have. But um, I will say that in the initial sessions, like for me, it's really about just understanding their situation as, as much as possible. And it's funny you guys brought up deal breakers earlier because that actually is something that in almost all of my initial sessions um, I talk about because I think you have to really have a solid understanding of like, all right, this is something that I'm just not okay with before you can kind of go into, okay, now I know like, you know, what I should be looking for. And in in terms of cost, so um, in the past, I have been charging $75 per an hour. And it is negotiable. And I understand different people have different like financial status. So definitely, like for me, I my passion is in helping, you know, people improve their gaming lives. So I've definitely done my fair share pro bono in this regard. And so uh, happy to do that. And I know I've actually talked to other dating coaches where, um, you know, they'll charge like any of like a couple hundred or so an hour. So it really depends, you know, who you're comfortable with. And I think there's definitely a lot of advantages to you going to like a certified therapist. But I think it depends, you know, what you think will help you most and, you know, like knowing yourself. Oh, so interesting. I am just amazed. If I was single, sign me up. (laughs) Right? Like, I'm convinced. (laughs) Definitely. And I think uh, before we move on to the last question, Dom, do you have any questions for Michelle? Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) We don't have time for all those, Dom. No, no, no. (laughs) Dom just showed us a notebook filled Literally an eight by 11 spiral notebook with every single line filled in. College rule, baby, college rule. This is Dominique, the producer here. I need to pee. Hi, Michelle. How you doing? These are some questions that hopefully you can help me. These are serious questions. So I'm hoping that you could just help me guide through. Absolutely. First question. You said that dark chocolate is your guilty pleasure. Does that still stand? Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. And this goes to the second question. If you saw me on the app, that you had to swipe left or right. I forget what app that is, right? 
what what app do you have to swipe left and right? Uh, Tinder and Bubble. Okay. If you saw me on those apps, how many times would you swipe right? Every single time. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Serious question. This is a serious question. <laughs> me and the fiance want to get on these swipe apps. Like we want to challenge each other to see who can get the most swipes, right? So <laughs> my question is, which dating app will give me the best advantage? Because of quarantine, I gained this second chin and my down angle shows my bald spot. You know, I think there's definitely a lot of apps um, that uh, will focus more on your personality, which you seem to have a great personality. <laughs> so, you know, maybe recommend Hinge. Okay, Hinge, Hinge. Okay, cool. And then the last question is, what is the best chocolate in the world? Now, this is a multiple choice question, okay? All right, so I'm going to break it down. I'm going to go, like, cheap to most expensive. There's Hershey, all right? There's Lent. I don't know how you say this one. Toblerone or Toblerone? Is it Toblerone or Toblerone? Toblerone. Okay, yeah, that one. Godiva or Godiva? Godiva. Godiva. And then the most expensive chocolate in the world, I don't even know how to even pronounce this, Amade Porcelana. Which one is the best chocolate in the world? So I don't think I've had the most expensive one yet, but I'm really excited to try that. I think of those, I would probably say Godiva. Oh, okay. You're actually absolutely wrong. The best chocolate in the world is Jordan Dom. <laughs> oh, darn. I saw that coming from a mile away. Actually, Jordan Dom, I thought you were going to refer to yourself as the most expensive chocolate in the world. I am the most expensive <laughs> chocolate in the world. I just wanted to, I hope, I was hoping that she caught on initially. Clearly, even though she's a dating coach, her skills as far as navigating through the riddles is, is she needs to work on that, but it's okay. Yeah. We love you, Michelle. This has been a great opportunity. I really, <laughs> I'm really taking a lot from this. I got the 36 questions to fall in love, the ocean personality test, although I do not like swimming. So I'm just going to be a little <laughs> conscious about that one. And then, uh, yeah, that, that's it for me. That's it for me. Thank you, Dom. <laughs> the most expensive chocolate in the world. As my favorite housewife, Erica Jane would say, it's expensive to be me. Michelle, echoing again. Oh, wait. Hayden, you go. So just, I guess, to finish off, I think we would love to know and our listeners would love to know, what is the most common question that you get from people? And what is the response, I guess, to that question just to kind of help people out? And maybe we've already asked it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think the most common question is basically asking about what the other person is looking for. So constantly, like, a lot of guys are like, what do women want? Uh, like, what, what, like, what, you know, they say they want these things, like, what do they actually want? And I get, you know, vice versa. And I think, you know, there's no, like, I, I can't say I can speak for every, like, you know, like, person out there. I always answer in a way where kind of what we were talking about earlier, like, you know, people want to know that you're curious about them. You know, people want you to um, you to be engaged and they want to feel like, you know, there's things in common or that they can learn things from you. So I think it's oftentimes, I think people think there's a specific answer but, you know, because it's not like a math problem. <laughs> and I think people kind of, I would really say, like, just not treat it that way, because it is, it's this like fun journey. And, you know, it constantly changes, like, with based on the person you're interested in or dating. And, you know, it should, like, I think if you're just genuine, where, you know, you really like this person, and you want to learn about them, I think that is, like, a pretty foolproof uh, way to progress things. 
Definitely. No, I agree with that for sure. And do you have any success stories that you'd like to share? Ooh, he might not like me talk about this, but um, I have an older brother. Um, he is now married and has a one-year-old. I will say that I have been helping him for the past 15 years on his dating life. And I think he will say that it's been uh, very helpful. <laughs> awesome. Lucky brother. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly success with a baby in hand. Yes. awesome michelle thank you so much for coming on and doing this interview Uh, we had a lot of questions and you had so many amazing answers it i agree completely with casey i feel like i've learned so much just in the time that we've been talking Um, it's truly been our pleasure and thank you for being one of our first official ever guests on the i need to pee podcast Everyone out there, if you want to learn more and you want to talk to Michelle about online dating space or need any dating advice, please feel free to reach out to Michelle. We're going to post her info on the Instagram and on our website, I need to be podcast.com. Her email will also be in our show notes. And thank you guys so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. We've been here for a while. I really, really got to pee. So bye. Casey Hayden and Alexis, three best friends from a small town, Sun Valley, Idaho, finding excuses to talk while going through social withdrawal and quarantine. Now working in different industries and different cities across the U.S., we talk to each other about pop culture, growing up, our most embarrassing moments, work stories, relationships, sexuality, and a whole lot of nonsense. What can give you a competitive edge in today's red-hot housing market? Rocket can. That's because Rocket Mortgage can give you a verified approval. It could help your offer stand out. Because when you find the perfect home, you don't want to lose it to anybody else. Rocket technology provides a rock-solid verification of your income, assets, and credit, giving sellers and their agents greater confidence in you. We've already helped over 1 million clients just like you reach their home financing goals this year alone. So remember this, what can help you buy the home you really want? Rocket can. Go to rocketmortgage.com or call us today at 8338-ROCKET. That's rocketmortgage.com or call 8338-ROCKET. A verified approval is based on an underwriter's analysis of your individual financial information appraisal and title report. Call for cost information and conditions equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030.